This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're feeling frisky on our way into episode number 78. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. This week, we are going to talk about the first steps to boosting fertility. This is something that I have gotten a lot of questions about recently. Sadie's going to help me teach about it today. Uh, and so I thought that I would do a podcast episode on it because really I've done, I've done some information on fertility and breastfeeding. And if you're interested in how breastfeeding impacts your fertility, you can go back and listen to those podcast episodes. But I thought that I would just go over some basics for preparing to conceive and really maximizing your chances of conception when you're ready to get pregnant. And this is all talking about from your perspective, mom. Uh, I can do something on your fertility dad if you guys are interested in hearing that. Just shoot me over an email or fill out the contact form on the website and I'll be happy to cover that. Right now, let's talk about some things that you can do, mom to help increase your chances of getting pregnant when you want to get pregnant. The very first step I think that you should take when you're even thinking about when do I want to have a baby or maybe we're going to be ready to have a baby soon, I think even if you're thinking it's a year out, this is a good step to take. So if you're thinking it would be really nice to get pregnant early next year or this time next year, then this is a great time to take this first step. And I did I did talk about this a little bit when we talked about breastfeeding and fertility. But the very first step that you want to take is tracking your cycles. And I really can't emphasize enough how important I think that is. Some of you might say, well, I really have no idea what my cycle is. I've never really paid attention to it. Or some of you might say, I have irregular cycles or whatever. Uh, and, and for some moms, I guess I can give the caveat that it becomes stressful. So if you've been tracking your cycles and you're finding that it's stressful and you want to take a break, then that's different than if you're, if you're at the beginning and are trying to conceive. And even if you have irregular cycles, charting them can do a couple things. One, it may help you realize that your body actually has a pattern that you just weren't aware of because it might not have been that quote-unquote textbook pattern that you learned about, which was that women have 28-day cycles and they ovulate on day 14, and your cycle might not be like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have trouble conceiving. I've never been one of those standard women who had the 28-day cycle, really. I either have really irregular, insanely crazy breastfeeding cycles, or I have short cycles. So when they normalize after I've, I've been nursing a baby for a while, they usually do go back to normal, and I tend to have like 26-day cycles or sometimes even shorter. So I've never been a textbook woman, really. Uh, breastfeeding or not. And so I, I think that it's perfectly fine to figure out what, what your pattern is, but there is benefit to knowing what your pattern is or what your absence of pattern is. Because 
it really helps you answer some questions that you want to know when you're trying to conceive. Now, if you have pretty regular cycles and pretty regular fertility, then you guys will decide, okay, we want to try and get pregnant, and you'll have a good idea of when you're ovulating, and there's a good chance that you'll conceive within the first couple of months. And charting in the past will mean that you already know about when you ovulate so you can either choose to chart that cycle and make sure that you baby dance so to speak on that day or around that day or you just have a pretty good idea of when you're going to when you're going to ovulate so you will know when to pinpoint things uh, or I, I also think that when you get pregnant there's a benefit to knowing when you've ovulated because I feel like it helps you calculate and expect a due date more accurately now that's not to say that you will go on your due date you know a due date is really it's just an estimate but I have found, at least for me personally, that the date that I calculate based on when I was when I ovulated is much more accurate than the date that comes up when when my midwife spins the little wheel that's based on the last date of your period. And usually that's because, especially for my last few babies, my ovulation date has been at a really weird point in my cycle because I was still breastfeeding, so my cycles hadn't completely normalized yet. And I calculated due date based on ovulation day, and that is pretty much when my babies have come, is is when I calculated it. So uh, I think it's a good thing, and I did. I I've charted for each one of my babies. Um, for my last four babies, I've been yeah, I've been charting for the last four babies that I've had. So. I was always able to tell my midwife, look, this is the date that I got, and the babies always came right around then. But anyways, that's just a little anecdote there. So I think that charting is valuable for that reason, especially, especially ladies, if you're going to ovulate on a weird date, like day 12 or day 18 or day 23. It's especially important if you ovulate late because then they're not going to say that you're, oh my goodness, you're way overdue and we want to do all these interventions if you're seeing a care provider or a practice that tends to be very interventive. If you can show that, okay, I didn't ovulate until day 26, which is which is 12 days past what their little chart is going to be assuming that you ovulated on. So, I mean, that's like two weeks, essentially. Uh, and so they might be saying that, you know, oh, your baby's due. We're going to induce for whatever reason. But really, they're inducing a 20 or a 38-week baby. Or if you get to 42 weeks, they say you're at 42 weeks. But you know based on ovulation that you're only right at 40 weeks. I mean, that's, that's pretty important. So I don't think that it's crucial. But I think that it's beneficial to know when you've ovulated for reasons other than just trying to conceive. But of course, when you're trying to conceive, knowing when or actually if you're ovulating can be very important. So that's one of the first questions to ask. Am I ovulating? And about when? And charting your cycles can help you understand that. It also, I mean, it helps you pinpoint the best time to conceive, and if you're having trouble conceiving, it helps you troubleshoot your cycle. Now, what exactly does charting your cycle mean? For those of you who don't know, 
your body gives particular signs throughout your cycle and some of those can be used by you to track your fertility so one you don't you don't really even have to do anything special or even chart for and that's your cervical fluids so and cervix is a word that means neck okay it's a medical terminology for neck so that's why you know we have the cervical area of the spine um, and cervical discs and all that stuff that you hear about that's talking about the neck but the cervix is actually the neck of the uterus it is actually part of the uterus it's not a separate part even though the way we talk about it when it comes to birth and pregnancy you might think it's separate but it's part of the uterus it is the neck of the uterus and at various times throughout our cycle the cervix produces different secretions so when you're not at all fertile uh, it usually produces nothing, so you feel a pretty dry sensation in the cervix and in the vagina. Or some for some ladies, there's kind of just like a baseline moisture level. And if you, you may not have ever paid attention to it before, so you might not be really aware of it. But if you pay attention to it, you'll notice it. And one thing to say is if you're on any kind of birth control, ladies, that's gonna, that is going to interfere with this cervical fluid pattern like I've had some ladies say why you know I never have any of these fluid patterns and then well are you taking a birth control pill or do you are you using the patch or Deprivera or something like that and they might say yes and that's going to mess this up because those work essentially by kind of fooling your body into thinking it's pregnant so it's not going to it's not going to go through the fertility patterns in the same way so that's something important to remember but uh but if you're not taking any sort of hormonal birth control, you may have noticed this or you may not have ever paid attention to it. So now pay attention to it. And usually when you're infertile, again, it's more dry or there's just kind of a baseline level of moisture. As you get closer to ovulation, that that cervical fluid begins to build up. And first it becomes kind of creamy or uh, like a, a milky consistency. And then it gets even even more fluid, more like a lotion-y consistency. Sometimes it can get to a clearer tacky type consistency just before or within those. And then when it's getting really fertile, it's starting to get clearer and stretchier. And you may have heard the term egg white fertile fluid because at the most fertile, it resembles egg whites. It's very, very stretchy, um, usually very clear though for some women it's opaque. And that is, that fluid is very nourishing to sperm. So it's very good to see when you want to get pregnant. It helps the sperm move uh, up through the cervix and into the uterus and then into the fallopian tubes where the sperm want to go to fertilize the eggs. So the cervical fluid makes either an inhospitable environment, that dryness or the, the very base um, moisture or tacky level that some women have is relatively inhospitable to sperm. The pH is not right for them and it kind of forms almost a barrier because they're not supposed to be there. Plus the cervix is a little bit more closed. Um, but then as you get closer to fertility or your fertile time in your cycle, it becomes more and more fluid. So that's something to start watching for. And you can watch for that just when you wipe in the bathroom, when you check, just check the toilet paper, and you'll usually notice this. And you can also notice, you know, the sensations that you're feeling between your legs, the dryness or the moisture that you feel there. 
And that gives you a good clue as to how fertile you are or not. That's usually one of the things that we chart when we chart our fertility. And you can, I mean, you can literally chart it out on a piece of paper, a paper chart, or there's several charting services online that you can use. And I'll give you some resources at the end of the podcast where you can get some more information on all of this. But that is... That's the first thing charted. Now, some women like to chart cervix position and feel. Remember, I just said that the cervix gets more open when you're closer to ovulating because, obviously, the sperm need to get into the uterus and up to the fallopian tubes. So, it beca- it gets more open, softer feeling, and um, and also lower down. So, basically, just more inviting overall. And the way that a lot of women describe it is... When you're not fertile, the cervix feels kind of like the tip of your nose. Be aware that if you've had a baby, it will always feel slightly open. But if you haven't had a baby, it might feel quite firmly closed. But it feels kind of like the tip of your nose, just that, uh, you know, that kind of rigid cartilage feeling. And then when you're very fertile, it feels more mushy and open, more like your lips. So that's a good way to think about it. Some women do cervix checks. Some women don't. Uh, Some women find that it's really very enlightening to them so if you feel comfortable with that clean hands trimmed fingernails are a good idea but you can check it is the cervix is something you should check throughout your cycle Uh, like every day you might have a time like right before right after your shower when you choose to check that but you want to check frequently so that you can get used to that feeling of firmness versus softness and everything and basically get to know your own body. And that can be a good sign to know. And obviously when the cervix is lower and softer, you're probably going to find the fertile fluid there too. So that's an optional sign that some women like to use, some women don't worry about it, but can be very enlightening. And then the other sign that's usually charted on your chart is your temperature. Uh, now, in the morning, before you get out of bed is when you take the temperature because you don't want to do a lot. Basically, it's your body's resting temperature, okay? And you use a special thermometer to test because you want to, you, you know, you want to be able to measure like to the tenth of a degree to get a very precise measurement. And you want that resting temperature every morning. And you will see, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but if you chart it out on a graph, again, you can do it on your computer, on a piece of paper. I mean, there are phone apps too now that work. Again, I'll give you some more resources for all of this. And you chart that out on the graph, and you can see a rise in that resting temperature. And when that rise has happened and been sustained for three days, that is a very good sign that you've ovulated because... Before ovulation, your resting body temperature is slightly lower, and after ovulation, it's slightly higher. It's called a thermal shift. There can be some things that cause false positives, like if you have a drink before dinner one night, that can cause false positives, or if you're up in the night a lot with a little one, that can cause false positives, though I would still chart if you're in that uh, if you're in that situation, and obviously if you're sick and have a fever, that's going to cause a, a false positive or false high. 
but the reason why charting your uh, basal body temperature is a good idea, that resting temperature, is because you can confirm that ovulation is happening and when it is happening. Your cervical fluid gives you a good idea that it's happened, but this shift tells you, okay, that happened because your body will ovulate and then the temperature will shift. So three days is what they use to confirm it, a three-day temperature shift, but it actually happens on the day before on the day before that first shift. Okay, so chart your cycles. And we'll come back in just a minute to help you. <coughs> Obviously, the, the most obvious one is if you're not ovulating, you're going to see that on your chart and, and be able to dig into that and figure out what's going on there. But I'll come back to some other scenarios where having that chart will be beneficial for you. Sadie's very interested in this topic. Okay, now let's move on to the next the next first step. And this is another good one that you can start, you know, a year, especially six months or so before you want to conceive. And that's ask yourself, what are you eating? And I'm going to point out some specifics to think about when you want to conceive. So first, what is your overall calorie level? Now you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about pregnancy diet and you do not need to eat the same calorie level that you would eat during pregnancy when you're trying to conceive because the reason for that calorie level is to maintain pregnancy blood supply. And that blood supply begins building around eight weeks pregnant. So you don't need it beforehand. However, you do need to be eating enough calories to be fertile. And if you actually are experiencing an absence of menstruation that's not caused by taking birth control or um, or you're not ovulating, so you're having anovulatory cycles, this is the first thing I would recommend that you look at is how much am I eating every day? Because many women are eating like 1,200 to 1,500 calories a day for whatever reason. They're, you know, some sometimes it's just because it's become habitual for some women to eat like birds. Uh, other times it's because, you know, you're trying to diet or lose weight. You... But that that calorie level, some women can have healthy cycles and conceive on that, but it's very, very low. And many women, even if they continue having periods, will not be fertile if they're eating that little amount of calories. So I would say that if you're getting anything less than 1,700 to 1,800 calories a day, you need to increase the amount of calories that you're getting until you hit that 17 to 1,800 level. And ideally, I think that you should shoot for around 2,000 calories a day. Uh, if you're very, if you're very far away from when you're gonna be trying to conceive, you know, a year out, then maybe work up to that 1,700, 1,800 level. But especially if you're getting close, like in the next three months or so, you want to be at that nice, sustainable calorie level that's gonna nourish your body. Um, and it's going to just give your body enough energy to be fertile and to be pregnant. Okay, next in your diet, are you getting healthy fats in your diet? And by healthy fats, uh, I want you to think about any fats that your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmas had access to. So if it's something that they were able to get, olive oil, coconut oil, um, the fat that comes along with your meat, 
dairy fats. Those are all good fats because they're traditional healthy fats that could be can be gotten without a lot of extreme processing. If it requires lots of chemicals and extreme processing to get it out, it's not a healthy fat. So most modern vegetable oils fall into that category and you want to stay away from them. But there are some traditional ones like the olive oil, coconut oil, etc. that are fine. Healthy fats are essential because all of the hormones of fertility rely on fats and many of the vitamins that you want to boost your fertility are fat soluble. So your hormones do not work <laughs> if there is no fat and of course fertility and even pregnancy and birth are hormonally orchestrated events. So you want to make sure that you're getting good healthy fats in your diet. You know you don't have to go overboard but you want to make sure that you're getting that. So don't be afraid to dress your salads with healthy salad dressings. Don't be afraid to cook with a little bit of a healthy cooking oil. Um, that sort of thing. It's just, it's not going overboard, but making sure that you're getting good things. Eat a few avocados every week, that kind of thing, to get those healthy fats in. You also do want to look at vitamins and mineral levels. And getting the healthy fats and getting enough calories is going to go a long way towards this. But also do make sure that you're picking nutrient-dense foods. Do get a lot of veggies that have a lot of those micronutrients and, and minerals in them. And fruits, too, are good. Um, some whole grain products here and there are going to be really good for you, too. But also, if possible, animal products are very, very rich in vitamins. And when you look at animal products, like if you were to graph the nutrients and say um, spaghetti that's made with beef, if you were to look at that beef as compared to the broccoli that you're eating on the side, the beef on the graph is gonna be much higher just because it inherently has a lot more nutrients in it. And, and especially for pregnant women, or excuse me, women trying to conceive, they found that a little bit higher protein is really beneficial for a fertility diet. So getting that good food um, and getting that, you know, getting those higher nutrient density foods in your diet and especially the animal products that come with the extra protein too is going to be a good idea. And, and again, protein was the next thing in my notes here to cover with you. So they have shown that a lower carb, higher protein diet is beneficial for fertility and that's I mean that's actually been scientifically validated so that's something to keep in mind when you look at the makeup of your diet also look at the superfoods that you've given that you're getting in your diet uh, again those animal products or especially if you can eat once a week liver or another organ meat that would be a superfood um, eggs coconut oil avocados those are all superfoods that if possible you want to have those in your diet grass-fed meats uh, grass-fed dairy would be superfoods and then if possible locally grown vegetables those are all superfoods that you want to have in your diet again mostly because of their nutrient density um, and also because they bring nutrients that are particularly important to pregnancy when when dr weston a price was studying uh native groups around the world that had really robustly healthy babies and uncomplicated pregnancies and births, he noticed that for many of them, the, the pregnant women were fed, or the women who were trying to conceive, were fed specific foods. And then throughout pregnancy, they were fed specific foods. And when he analyzed these in his lab, 
he noticed that they were all really nutrient-dense foods. So those those quote-unquote special foods are a good idea to get in your diet. Um, and then the other thing is kind of watching what you don't want to eat too. So you don't want to eat like trans fats because those block the they block the receptors for the good food that you want to be eating and they also mess up insulin response so if you're worried about something like PCOS this is something that's especially important for you and also avoid foods that have a lot of hormonal mimickers in and of themselves like soy foods have a lot of phytoestrogens and it's just a good idea to avoid foods that are going to have a lot of that in them when you're trying to conceive because they they mess up your your body's hormonal profile. Something else to ask yourself is, uh, what are you doing outside? Are you getting outside? Are you out in the sun? Are you spending time outdoors? And that might not sound like a fertility step, but it is because A, we need the sun to help us make vitamin D, if at all possible. Now you can take a good D3 supplement. But really, our bodies expect sunlight to deliver it to us. And there's also an important impact on our mood and sense of well-being when we're out in the sun. But vitamin D has been shown to have uh, a hand in fertility. So we want to make sure that we're out in the sun and that we're enjoying that fresh air. And, you know, take a walk every day. And also... When you're outside, you're moving. Your body's moving. And that's that's helping with your circulation. It's helping with the circulation of your blood so that all of those nutrients are getting circulated. And it's also actually helping with the circulation of your lymphatic system, which works a little bit differently than the circulatory system because it's not being pumped quite the same way as the heart pumps blood. But you and so lymph can get kind of stagnant if you're sitting around all day. So it's good to be moving because that lymphatic system is really important in regulating immune responses. Some women have trouble getting pregnant because of overactive immune responses, um, and some women have trouble getting pregnant because their immune response is low and they have a tendency to get ill, and that's very taxing on the body, so the body can't also sustain a pregnancy. So just getting up and moving has so many benefits to us in so many ways for lifelong health, but also to your fertility. So you want to be looking at that when you're thinking about what can I do, what habits can I create in my life to help to help me be healthier and to help boost my fertility at the same time. A final step to take, because this is kind of our fertility first steps, our basics, but a final step to take is to check your lights. Lights on at the wrong time have an impact on most of our body systems. If you listened to the podcast that I did a few weeks ago, we were talking about getting good sleep in pregnancy, and we talked about how blue light can really impact people's sleep cycle. Dr. Rosenberg shared that that can really have a big impact on things. So, and it's true not just during pregnancy, it's really true uh, at any point in your life. So, your body's hormonal cycles are really intimately tied to, to the light, just like they're intimately tied to what you eat and they're intimately tied to how you move and work and keep your body's circulating. So you want to turn off those blue lights when the sun goes down. Now, this one's this one is hard for me because 
especially we live here in northern Michigan and during the winter it gets dark so early and usually I want to do a little bit of work after my kids go to bed or even just read an ebook or something. So if you're on a computer, there's a, a, a little app you can install called Flux, F-L-U-X, and Flux helps you to make sure that, or it, it actually brings the lighting down on your computer so that your screen kind of matches an incandescent light, or you can even, as you get used to it, you can change it so that it kind of mim mimics candlelight. And it just, it takes those blues out of your screen and brings it back. It takes a little time to get used to it, looks a little bit weird, but I've found that at night it really does make a big difference in how quickly I can get to sleep. And also I've noticed that, um, that like if I've been looking at the computer and then turn away uh, or get ready to go to bed in a dark room, it's, I'm like essentially blind. But if I've had flux on my computer, then my night vision is a little bit better. And so that that's a good idea if you are if you're really up and using your computer and stuff. And and I think you can use Flux on an Android phone. You have to have a jailbroken phone to use it on an iPhone. Uh, so that might not be an option for you. But for most tablets and e-readers and things, they have a Flux version for those, or they have a way that you can try and, and count out that dim light. Just dimming the screen doesn't really work. So if you can't use something like Flux to help take out those blue lights, then it might be you think about reading your ebooks and stuff a little bit earlier during the day and then maybe switch to a normal book um, and a nice by lamplight or something as you're getting ready to go to bed. Try and, and commit to cutting that out. Also, get into a nice nighttime routine so that it's not like floodlights and bright, bright lights on right up until the time you go to bed. Try and bring the lights down so that it's lamp lights and stuff after dark so that your body is starting to sense that it's time to quiet down. And you want to sleep in a dark room throughout most of your cycle. When you want to ovulate, you want the room to be a little bit brighter. Now, why is this? You probably heard that women who live together, their cycles are often in sync, and then often women's cycles will be in sync with the moon. And you might say, well, mine aren't in sync with the moon. But the reality is, is if we all went on like this great big camp out that lasted for a few months, uh, our cycles would probably sync up and they would probably be in sync with the moon. The reason why that doesn't happen in most, for most of us modern women is because lights are disrupting and getting in the way and our body is, you know, what's moonlight? What's just the lamp that's on? What's the floodlight that she's got on while she's running on the treadmill in the basement? That sort of thing, you know? It's, our body doesn't really perceive the moonlight so much because electric lights, and I'm very thankful for, I'm very thankful for electric lights and technologies, ladies. I'm a total computer geek, so I'm not bad mouth in technology at all, but just as an, as an awareness for how it impacts your fertility and also just your sense of well-being throughout the rest of your life and also what's going on with that baby or toddler that you can't get to sleep. Um, you know, know that, that that has an impact. So the way that women worked in the past typically is that when the moon was full and there was more light, that's when women were ovulating. So if you want to kind of mimic that, try and keep your bedroom dark, but then when you are wanting to ovulate or when you're expecting ovulation, maybe you open the blinds or you sleep with a dim light on, and that can actually help encourage ovulation. There, there was actually kind of um, a method founded on that called luniception, and, and not a lot has been published about it, but 
but it was found to work pretty well for some women who wanted to try and control when ovulation was or encourage ovulation to use lunaception. And it was just based on this, we keep it dark when we don't want to ovulate and we keep it light when we do. And especially if you're trying to normalize your cycles, um, that can be really important. One of the things that charting your cycles can help you figure out is if you have what's called a luteal phase defect, which means that the portion of your cycle from ovulation to your next period is too short to sustain a pregnancy. It needs to be at least 12 days or so, 12 to 14 days to be able to sustain a pregnancy. And some women find that that's really short. When I'm breastfeeding a baby and my cycles first start back, it's often really short, like four to five days. Uh, And then it gradually lengthens out. But I'll have cycles of it being four to five days and then maybe eight. And then finally, it'll get longer. And also I've had... um, my, my luteal phase seems to be pretty sensitive because I've had luteal phase issues even when my period had returned for a while and it just kind of settled at like 8 to 10 days. And what makes the difference, and, and charting, That's I told you I'd come back to why charting is helpful because charting helps you pinpoint things like that. Okay, I'm ovulating on day 14, but then my cycle starts at day 22. That's not you know, really a long enough luteal phase. And I know I need to do something. Healthy fats can really help with that. And and luniception can help with that too. So sleeping in a nice dark room after ovulation. Again, these are things that can help. And this is these are just basics to kind of help you start getting in line and maximize your fertility and and just get ready to conceive a healthy baby overall and have your hormonal cycles be healthy. Go back and listen um, Go back and listen to the podcast on sleep and pregnancy to know more about this light and sleep thing and also how you can sleep tight throughout your pregnancy. Uh, but these are all things that are going to be really important to you in creating healthy routines and, and healthy body functions for yourself and for your baby and your toddlers. Okay, I promised you that I'd give you some resources to find out more about this. So naturalbirthandbabycare.com actually has a sister site, which is gettingpregnant.com. And it's getting-pregnant.com. Again, that's getting-pregnant.com. And that site is really, really full of information to help you have a healthy pregnancy or, you know, conceive with a healthy pregnancy. So make sure that you're ready to conceive in a healthy way. And it also covers everything that I just talked about with charting. There's printable charts that you can download, some information on charting software and charting apps and things like that. I use... um, the taking charge of your fertility software personally that's what I've used for years and years and years and it's helped me conceive uh, four very healthy babies and calculate their due dates very accurately it has a built-in due date calculator based calculator based on ovulation and that's been really helpful so that's what I personally use but I talk about some other options I also talk about fertility monitors and those sorts of things ovulation tests and that's all on natural birth and baby care sister site which is gettingpregnant.com That's getting-pregnant.com, and I'll also link to that in the show notes. If you're interested particularly in what to eat to get pregnant, I do have like a little one-hour class on fertility diet, and you can check that out at birthbabylife.com slash fertility diet. Again, that's birthbabylife.com slash fertility diet, and that goes into all of the diet and food stuff uh, 
in much greater detail. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the episode for this week. Uh, I pray that you will have a blessed week this week. And also, if you can take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes or in Stitcher, or if you have a couple minutes, leave a comment. It really helps more families find out about the podcast. And I appreciate it so much because I just, I love getting feedback from you when the podcast has made a difference in your life. And I would love to touch more families. My goal is kind of, is kind of to make a difference for a family every day. This year and next year, I've been looking at my goals for 2016. And like I shared on the last podcast episode, how I want to make a difference. You know, I want to touch a family every day. And you podcast listeners are some of my, you know, some of my most enthusiastic audience. And so if you can share the podcast, or if you can take a minute to leave that rating, or especially to leave a comment, let me know what I'm doing right. Let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know how I can improve. And most of all, let's help other families find the podcast so that we can touch more lives and so that we can make a difference for more mamas and daddies and babies and toddlers and families. That would be awesome. Again, have a blessed week and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.